this morning, if you have your Bibles, if you don't have a Bible, there should be one there in front of you, in the pew in front of you. You can grab one of those because this is one of those where um, it, it, it helps when you actually look in the text and follow along, though I will go ahead and give you ample warning. Uh, we're not in Hebrews today, all right? You can go to 1 Corinthians 15, 1 Corinthians 15, and this is known as the resurrection chapter. And uh, normally, you know, we're in the book of Hebrews. We're almost to the finish line on it. Uh, but uh, it is Easter, and so I want to give a special focus and attention to Resurrection Sunday. Today's message is the tomb is empty. Everybody say empty. empty. Look at your neighbor and say empty. empty. <laughs> I got scared y'all there for a second, didn't you? Some of y'all thought y'all was back in that church you came out of. Anyway, but look, it, it, it is, it's empty. And this is what I want you to remember. If you can remember this word empty, then you've got the outline for today's sermon. All right, We're going to unpack what it means in regards to the tomb being empty. Because it is. He is not there. He is risen. He is risen indeed. The resurrection chapter, 1 Corinthians 15. If you want to know about the resurrection and that which surrounds it, this is where you want to go in the New Testament. This is the passage of Scripture that you want to look at in order to determine the information surrounding the resurrection. Our Christian faith is based upon the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If Jesus Christ did not rise from the dead bodily, God bless you, we cannot be blessed because our faith is futile. Our faith is in vain. If he did not rise from the dead. Folks, we serve a risen Savior. He is alive. Just as real as we see each other today, even more so, he is real and he's coming back for his bride. He is coming back one day for those who've placed their faith and trust in him and his finished work at Calvary. So, with that in mind, the resurrection chapter. Now, I know what you're thinking. Preacher, this chapter's got 58 verses. (laughs) I know you give us the evening off, preacher, but come on. Well, I'll let you off the hook. We're not going to go through every single verse. We would be here until the Lord's return. Hey. Anyways, the resurrection chapter. I know that's hard to see, probably, maybe not, maybe it is, I don't know. I'll read it for you, how about that for those of you. By the way, by the way, speaking of vision and not being able to see, got me a new Bible. (laughs) Genuine cowhide. Man, I had to chase that cow a long ways, let me tell you. (laughs) Anyways, Um, it's small print, what's that? Giant print. Giant print, no, that's why... It's, I'm struggling this morning. I'm going to read from right there, or I may turn around and read from right there. Yeah. Giant print I do need. Yes, I do. The resurrection chapter. Here's some, here's some things found in, in this passage in 1 Corinthians 15. All right? It progresses towards an inevitable empty tomb. And as we go through this chapter, as you read on your own, as you study on your own, here are the points that are going to leap out to you in 1 Corinthians 15. First thing, Jesus died. 
Jesus was buried. Jesus rose again. Jesus appeared. That's pretty simple, right? It's very simple, but gang, that is the solid backbone of Christianity. This is the evidence that we need to know. So, the tomb is empty. What is the evidence? Let's take a look. Notice if you would in 1 Corinthians 15. Moreover, brethren, Paul, the Apostle Paul writing, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, and in which you stand. Let me just stop for a second, folks, and say you can stand on the good news of Jesus Christ. You can stand on the gospel. By which also you are saved, and that's in the tense in the original language, it's that you are being saved. Salvation not only is justification in the moment that you turn from your sin and place your faith in the finished work of Christ, you are justified. Justification. Salvation is also in working you as a believer in sanctification. And as we grow in the grace and knowledge as followers of Jesus Christ, we are being sanctified. We are, that's the active part of salvation that we're currently taking part in. We are being conformed more and more into the image of Christ. And then one day, the final aspect of salvation is glorification, when Christ returns, or when we go to be in His presence. Glorification. By which you also are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received. Now, I'm not going to exhaust the evidence here, but you check out Tyson's uh, chapter, and, and I can guarantee you uh, in their meeting they're going to discuss exactly what this implies. The Apostle Paul receiving the witness from those apostles who walked and talked and saw the resurrected Christ, which Paul saw later, and we'll read that in just a moment. But he got that message shortly after, and he's continued to preach, and people have continued to receive. He said, For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins. Christ died for our sins. Every one of us here are sinners. None of us have arrived. None of us in and of ourselves. So before we look down our nose at others around us, keep this in mind. We are sinners in need of a Savior. Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures. And that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures. And that He was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve. After that, He was seen by over five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present. You know what he's saying there? Don't take my word for it. These jokers are still alive. Go talk to them. Go have a conversation with them. Over 500 people at one time. Ask them. Now, some have fallen asleep. Fancy term for they died. After that, he was seen by James. 
then by the apostles. Then last of all, he was seen by me also, by one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles, whom am not worthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. Evidence. There is great evidence that Jesus Christ is who He claimed to be. There is great evidence in our faith that Jesus not only lived a sinless life, He died for our sins, He was buried, and He rose again. There is evidence. Think about this evidence. Three truths about the empty tomb. And these are uh, sort of the three major points that most folks... Uh, when looking at the account and, and looking at the evidence, these are three main points that are often shared in this discussion. The evidence. The first piece of evidence is he was first discovered by women. Now, why is that evidence? Again, you know, and you probably remember this from last Easter, which by the way, you can go back, I've been here now, nine Easter's I preach, right? Or eight Easter's. Yeah, eight. So I gotta ask my wife. Sometimes I forget they all run together. What's your name? What's your name? Anyway, sorry. Um, you can go back and listen to some of the others because we've unpacked this passage many times. But I just kind of want to gloss over a little bit here. Why is it important that the first ones to arrive on that day, that it was women who made the discovery? Now you've heard it said, and I've often said it too, that, that women could not testify in the court of law. And so their witness was of no good. That's not correct exactly. They could testify, but the point was their testimony was worthless. So you would never ask a woman to testify. Now look, don't get mad at me, ladies. All right? I didn't, I didn't create that problem. I didn't live back then. I wasn't the one instigating it. I'm just telling you what the day was like. And that was the day in which they lived there in that area in the Middle East, that, that, that territory, Jerusalem. Women would not testify. You would never ask a woman to represent what you're trying to prove, especially if you wanted it to be proven true. So why, does, why then, why did God choose this way? Again, I offer to you that that is strong evidence as to why it's true. Because if you're going to make up a story, you wouldn't make up a story and put forth the worst witnesses to testify. But if it really happened, you've got no choice but to say, well, actually these were the ones who saw him first. And again, there's a lot more that can be said about that, and I invite you to explore that idea. The second point of evidence is that the disciples encounter with the resurrected Christ. His followers, as you know, after it happened, many of them prior to it happening, and they, they fled, the shepherd was struck and the sheep scattered in fulfillment to Jesus' own words. You remember on the night in which he was betrayed, they ran, they hid. Peter followed along, even he denied him three, and, 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 and denied him. And, and then you find at the death of Christ, only a few gathered to witness. Many of them were afraid. And in fact, after that, they all went into hiding. His followers were afraid. They were next. 
Why would they not be? This was catamount to, uh, to, in many's eyes, as they were trying to uh, go against Rome. They were uh, going against the, the Jewish sect and religious leaders. They were labeled and marked men and women. They were going to be next on the hit list. So they went into hiding. you got to ask yourself, what takes someone who is fearful of dying and then within a matter of 50 days goes forth proclaiming in great boldness the message of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ to the point that they would all die. With the exception of all the followers of Christ there, John ended up being dipped in hot oil, put on the island of Patmos, most of his followers died through uh, crucifixion upside down, beheading uh, uh, many followers. We've been reading this in, in Hebrews, the great hall of faith, and you can see those who have always, prophets of old and even in Jesus' uh, day, many have died for what they believed in to be true. And they're not going to do that if they knew it was a lie. There's many things surrounding the, the empty tomb and many theories that have been put out. And again, you can go back and listen to previous messages we've done here on Easter. And we talk about the different theories, the swoon theory and uh, the uh, hallucination theory and all these things that are put forth that people over the years have tried to put forth. And every time they've been debunked, many of them people don't even offer up anymore because they recognize the foolishness in trying to offer up some of these things. One of the greatest evidences, gang, is that these disciples claimed that they saw, they ate, they talked, they touched the risen Savior. Paul has just laid out that he appeared to over 500 at one time. Go ask them. One of the greatest evidences is their encounter with the resurrected Lord. And then the third thing is the church established and grew. Guys, think about this truth. You want an evidence? You want an evidence as to why I believe Jesus Christ has risen from the dead? You're here this morning. Over 2,000 years later, you are here this morning worshiping Him. based upon the testimony of those followers of Christ who came out of hiding, who were cowards, were now bold in their faith. And they began to testify and they began to tell others. And the word spread. And the church sprung up. The day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit is poured out. And the Lord added to the church daily the souls that were being saved. Those who were believing the message of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You want evidence that the tomb is empty? The church is great evidence of that. An article by Matt Perman, he writes, I'm sure you've heard of the various theories used to explain away the empty tomb, such as the body was stolen. But those theories are laughed at today by all serious scholars. In fact, they've been considered dead and refuted for almost a hundred years. 
For example, the Jews or Romans had no motive to steal the body. Think about that for a minute. The Jews or the Romans had no motive to steal the body. Why would they steal the body? They wanted to suppress Christianity. Not encourage it by providing it with an empty tomb. The disciples would have no motive either. Because of their preaching on the resurrection, they were beaten, killed, and persecuted. Hey, I got a great idea, guys. Let's go out and get beaten and stoned to death and killed. Yeah, that's great fun. Let's go. Why would they go through all of this for a deliberate lie? No serious scholars hold to any of these theories today. What explanation then do the critics offer, you may ask? William Lane Craig, Tyson's boss, tells us that they are self-confessedly without any explanation to offer. There is simply no plausible, natural explanation today to account for Jesus' tomb being empty. If we deny the resurrection of Jesus, we are left with an inexplicable mystery. End quote. The resurrection of Jesus is not just the best explanation for the empty tomb. It's the only explanation in town. Guys, either the tomb was empty or it was not. Those are truly the only choices. And whether you are a born-again believer or not, whether you have serious questions about what we call the Word of God, that's irrelevant. Historically speaking, Jesus' tomb is empty. What are you going to do with that? Again, there are many other evidences. Check out a Reasonable Faith chapter for more information coming soon to a church near you. William Lane Craig says, if the tomb story were a legend, then it's most likely that the male disciples would have made the first, discover, first to discover the empty tomb. The fact that despised women whose testimony was deemed worthless were the chief witnesses to the fact of the empty tomb can only be plausibly explained if, like it or not, they actually were the discoverers of the empty tomb. The women were the evidence. The resurrection was preached in the same city in which Jesus was crucified and buried shortly before. Those disciples, again, encounter with the resurrected Lord is evidence. And they went back into Jerusalem to preach. That's where it started. Think about that for a moment. As Paul Althus writes, the resurrection proclamation could not have been maintained in Jerusalem for a single day, for a single hour, if the emptiness of the tomb had not been established as a fact for all. Concerned. Because the second those guys came out of hiding and started saying, well, hey, Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Oh, really? Roman soldiers, let's go down here. Uh, Jewish officials, come on down here. All right, break the seal that's on the tomb. Remove the guards who are guarding it. Roll it away. There's the bones. The very enemies of Jesus and His followers testify that He is risen. The tomb's empty. 
That's evidence, gang. That's strong evidence. Now think about it. Something happens in here in LaGrange. And within a matter of days, everyone in the community knows about it. Because they get the Gazette, right, Holden? They get the, anyway. Everybody knows all of a sudden in the neighborhood what's going on. Jerusalem. Everybody knew what was going on. They knew this Jesus had been crucified. They knew He had been buried. They knew that they called for soldiers to guard it because He had been saying something about rising again on the third day. They began to hear the talk of how those officials were shaking in their boots because now the body's gone. And what happened to those soldiers guarding the tomb? And they, they were told, hey, just here, here's some money. Just listen, here's the story we're going to tell them. All right? Just say the disciples came and stole the body. I mean, think about how almost comical this account is, but this is historical fact. Therefore, whether it was I or they, so we preached and so you believed. The women were that evidence. Those early disciples in their uh, encounter with Jesus, which motivated them to go and spread the good news that Jesus is alive. He's risen from the, from the tomb. It's empty. It was also that which birthed the church. And as they told, people believed. And as they went throughout taking that message, people believed and the church was born. Preponderance of evidence says Jesus was raised. Acts 4, consider this passage. Think about this for a minute. Now as they spoke to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them. Being greatly disturbed, by the way, this is John and Peter, they're, they're preaching, they're, they're telling it, they're telling it. And, and they, they, they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And so here are these religious leaders. They laid hands on them, put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. Now, if you know this account in Acts, you know what happened. They beat them and said, Now go and do not teach and preach in this name of Jesus anymore. And they went back to the church and they got on their knees. And they prayed. And the place was shaken. And God filled them with His Spirit as they went out again and preached with boldness the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The very fact that these leaders are saying, shush it, shut it, stop it. They have the body. <laughs> they don't have to even... Worry about it, do they? But they don't have the body. The body's gone. He's risen. What's this message? The gospel means good news. It's good news, gang. It's great news. For I deliver to you, first of all, notice there if you would. Pay attention to that phrase. Verse 5, or I'm sorry, um, verse 3. For I deliver to you, first of all, that which I also received. This is of first importance. Note, note. 
that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. And that He was buried. And that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. This is the message they begin to proclaim. This is the message that's still preached today. And if you believe this message, believer, i got good news for you. You too will be raised one day. These earthly bodies, now I know, mine's breaking down. Man, I found that out even more yesterday. They're breaking down, right? I don't know about you, I'm looking forward to a glorified body. Anybody over 45 said? That's what I thought. The message, the empty tomb is a message of hope. It's a message of life after death. First Peter 1.3 says the following, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope how? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The message that we hold to, guys, is a message of hope. It's a message of life. It's a message of, of, of resurrection from the dead. Yes, these earthly bodies will go to their grave, or unless the Lord returns, they will be transformed. But we too will receive a glorified body, which is prepared for all eternity. Jesus Christ, when He rose from the dead, He rose bodily. 1 Corinthians 15, 20. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who've fallen asleep. Again, many Old Testament saints who were believers, many, no doubt, who were of that 500 who were eyewitnesses to the resurrected Lord had since died, as we had just read. And he's saying, look, Jesus is the first to be raised, never to die again. You too, believer, will one day rise bodily, connected back with your spirit and, and transformed into your glorious body at His glorious appearing and never to see or taste death again. That is great hope. That is a message of power, transformation. 1 Corinthians, let's see this passage here as we kind of unpack the last half. See how I skipped over so much? Man, you got to go home and read that. All right. Verse 51 through 58. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. So, you know, not everybody's going to die necessarily. When that, that day comes, some may just be in that moment transformed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible. And we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on corruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O oh, oh death, where is your sting? O oh, Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, be immovable, 
always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. That's a message to us believers. Resurrection day is every day for us believer. Prophecy. We've seen the evidence. We've heard the message. Think about prophecy for a moment. When it comes to the empty tomb. The tomb is fulfilled prophecy. Psalm 22. You guys know the great messianic uh, chapter in the Old Testament. It's a prophetic picture of Christ on the cross. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And you can go through there and see and realize that this thing is written hundreds of years prior to Christ on the earth. Isaiah 53, written again. Guys, we're talking upwards to a thousand years before Christ. And yet in great detail, it speaks to the suffering servant. But what about Psalm 16? Think about this passage. Psalm 16.10 says, For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. Guys, you can look in Psalm 22, you can look in Isaiah 53, and you will see the picture of Jesus Christ. Again, written, known. Those Jewish people that were there, those religious leaders should have known. These scriptures were read weekly in the synagogues. If anyone should have known, it should have been those people. When Jesus hung on the cross and He said, My God, my God, why has Thou forsaken me? They should have not been confused on what He was saying. They should have thought immediately, Psalm 22, Messianic Psalm. They cast lots for my clothing. There they are. The Roman soldiers are casting lots for His clothing. They pierced His hands and His feet. Psalm 22 talks about that. They pierced His hands and His feet. And throughout that passage, Psalm 53, I mean Isaiah 53, same thing. All throughout, it's a picture of Jesus Christ. They had these scriptures. They should have seen that. And they should have fell flat on their face at the foot of the cross and been crying out for mercy. Oh God, forgive me. I didn't see. I didn't know. Forgive me. God had been telling them through His Word 1,500 years plus. This is the seed of the woman. This is the promised one since the fall. This is God incarnate. Prophecy fulfilled. And then we come to the truth. The fact that the tomb was empty points us to the truth claims that Jesus made. Think about that for a minute. By the way, let me, let, me just, let me just say this in, in, in response to the, to the last one, the prophetic. Peter's first message at the, the Feast of Weeks or the, the Pentecost, he, he preached his first sermon and he boldly asserted that God had raised the Jewish Messiah from the dead. Acts 2, 24 says that. He then explained that God had performed the miraculous deed and fulfillment of David's prophecy. Psalm 16. In fact, Peter quoted the words of David in detail contained in Psalm 16, 8 through 11. 
Some years later, Paul did the same thing when he spoke to the Jewish community in Antioch. Like Peter, Paul declared that God had raised Messiah Jesus from the dead in fulfillment of Psalm 16.10. And again, Acts 13.33-35, you can find that account. Guys, the empty tomb gives great testimony. It gives evidence. It's a message of the gospel. It's prophecy fulfilled. And it's truth. Consider this. A Barna survey found that 59% of American adults... Hear me, if you tuned out, tune back in. If, you, if, you're, if your neighbor's asleep, give them a nudge. A Barna survey found that 59% of American adults believe that Christians and Muslims worship the same God. Even though they have different names and beliefs regarding God. And it's not just secular people who believe that all religions are basically the same. One quarter of born-again Christians said that all people are eventually saved or accepted by God. That's 25% of people think that, professing Christians. And that it doesn't matter what religious faith you know, because they all teach the same lessons, 26%. An even larger percentage of born-again Christians, 40% born-again Christians. Did you hear that? Born-again Christians. That's how they're identifying. Indicated that they believe Christians and Muslims worship the same God. A 2017 Barna poll found that almost 3 in 10, 3 in 10, that's 28%, practicing Christians strongly agree that, quote, all people pray to the same God or spirit no matter what name they use for that spiritual being. Guys, we got a problem. We don't understand the truth. The empty tomb is great evidence to the truth claims of Jesus Christ. Let's consider some. Matthew 26, 61. And said this uh, fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to build it in three days. Jesus made that claim. Did he not? That was the truth. He referenced himself and three days later... He took himself up from the grave. Mark 8, 31, And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. Jesus had been saying this throughout his ministry. This wasn't anything new. Why do you think they put the guards at the tomb? Why do you think they put the seal on it? They knew what he'd been teaching. They knew what he'd been saying. Jesus was making truth claims. Either he was going to back it up or he was full of hot air. He backed it up. Consider this. John 14, 6. Jesus said, to the, to, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus didn't say He was a way. He said He was the way. That is a claim of truth. You can't have it just the way you like it. It is His way or the highway. Guys, truth by definition is exclusive. 
Everybody makes a claim on something. Well, I don't think Jesus really taught that He was God incarnate. Well, either that is, a, either that is right or that is wrong, but don't, don't sugarcoat it. That's a truth claim. They're trying to say 2 plus 2 is 5, and it don't add up. Do the math, people. Jesus made truth claims. Acts 4.12 Nor is there salvation in any other. You mean not Muhammad? Not Buddha? Well, well, what about if I'm part of the Jehovah's Witness organization? Or, or, or those Mormons, they're sweet people. They're good people. They do good deeds. You know, why not them? Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. You can either take the biblical Jesus or you can create a Jesus in your mind and in your image. Which is, by the way, idolatry. And once again, I'm not talking about the store down the road. Randy Alcorn says, Christianity rises or falls on the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. If this event is historically true, it makes all other religions false because Jesus Christ claimed to be the one and only way to God the Father. To prove this, He predicted He would come out of the grave alive three days after He was executed, and He did. <laughs> come on, man, that's good stuff! He did! <laughs> I mean, you would think we, we worship some dead guy the way we all looking this morning. <sighs> Man, I shouldn't have had that casserole. <laughs> I told you, honey, I didn't eat all three of them. Tim Keller at the Gospel Coalition Conference in 2003 made this statement. Resurrection makes Christianity the most irritating religion on earth. <laughs> think about that. That's so true, isn't it? You Christians, you just think you're higher than them. You're just mightier than You just owe that in a bag of chips. I just revealed my age. That's 90s, wasn't it? 90s, 90s called. They want their joke back. Sorry. I'm actually 80s, but, you know, for you young kids... The, the resurrection makes Christianity the most irritating religion on earth. Why is that? Because you can argue about ethics. And we will. You can argue about doctrines. And we will. Rituals until you're blue in the face. People are free to believe what they want. What does it matter? But the resurrection means everything is changed. <laughs> Everything is changed. If the resurrection is true, if that tomb is empty, everything has changed. If Christ is not raised, that Christians are to be pitied for wasting our lives, the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. But if Christ is raised, then that means it would be insane to ignore Him and His claims. Guys, we live in a world of crazy people. I, mean, I didn't have to tell you that. You knew that was truth. <laughs> but really, if this is true, it 
changes everything. It's a game changer, gang. Because just as he was dead and buried and came back to life and is alive, one one day we too will die and be buried. And we will resurrect. Some unto everlasting life and some to eternal damnation. Because if Jesus' claims of truth are true, 2 plus 2 is 4, and it equals right, and you do the math, and it's there, and it's there. How should that impact my living? How should that affect my life? Lord, help me. Lord, help us. Truth claim. Evidence. The message. Prophetic fulfillment, the truth, and last, yours. If you've trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, it is your payment, your salvation, your victory, and it's your testimony. Consider this. Ephesians 1, 13. Excuse me, my sermon was getting a little dry. There we go. That never gets old. Holding it never gets old. All right. In Him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth. In Him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Guys, the empty tomb is yours. Jesus took your place. He went to the cross and paid for your sin. He was buried in your tomb. And He's raised from the dead, victorious over death. Your victory is in Him. That's some awesome News. That's some good news. We see it there in Ephesians 1.13. We also see uh, it here as well in, in Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ. Jesus, our Lord, Easter is the greatest gift that we were given. The death, the burial, and resurrection on our behalf. Romans 10 through and 8 through 11, verse 13 says, But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, Whoever believes on Him will not be put to shame. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Church, the tomb is empty. Evidence. We have it that Jesus rose from the grave. The message, the empty tomb is a message of hope. Life after death. Prophecy, the tomb is fulfilled prophecy. 
Truth, the fact that the tomb was empty points us to the truth claims that Jesus made and yours. If you've trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, it's your payment, it's your salvation, it's your victory, and it's your testimony. We have the evidence. We have heard the message, church. We've seen the prophecy fulfilled. We can weigh the claims of truth. It's yours to receive or to reject. It's yours to receive or reject. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as receive him, to them, he gave the right to become the children of God to those who believe in His name. Let's pray. Praise you, God. The tomb is empty. Lord, if we got what we deserve, we deserve death. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our, our Lord. Your word reminds us that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Lord, no doubt this morning, either watching via television, listening via podcast, or someone sitting right here in this auditorium this morning, They've heard the evidence. They've seen the evidence. They've heard the message. They know that Christ fulfilled prophecy. They've heard His truth claims. And now it's up to you. And I'm speaking to those who may fit this category. It's up to you to receive or reject. God's invitation is open. Whosoever will, let him come. Right where you are in this closing moment, I invite you to call out to the only name given under heaven by which to be saved. And that is the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Put your faith in Him. He says, for by grace have you been saved through faith. It's a gift from God. It's not of works. You can't brag about it. But God offers you a gift this morning and by faith receive Jesus Christ and His finished work at Calvary on your behalf. He took the penalty that you and I owe and He paid it in full through His death upon the cross. He was buried in your place and He rose again victorious over death to prove that His offer is legit. He cannot lie. Take Him at His word. And by faith today, turn from your sin and receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. He will transform you and change you. The greatest evidence of Christ's resurrection is your testimony, church. Your life has been changed. Let's continue to let our light shine for His glory. In Christ's name, amen.